this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Okay, thank you guys. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Um, if you're new today, we're walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we've come to chapter 4 and verse 17. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 978. Page 978 if you want to um, follow along uh, in a copy of the same translation that I'm using. ESV if you don't have one. Um, but we're going to look this morning at verses 17 through 24. The choir just sang about Christ reigning in us. What does it look like in our lives when Christ is reigning as Lord? What does our behavior look like when Christ is reigning as Lord in our lives? What does it look like when we're people who have been made new? That's what this text is really about. Let's look at it together. Ephesians 4 and beginning with verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would really rivet our minds now upon your word. Pray that you would rid us of any distraction, because these are just really vital moments together. And we pray that you would use them profitably in our lives, that by the power of your Spirit, that you would bring forth fruit in our lives right now through your Spirit-inspired Word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Erwin McManus serves as a pastor of Mosaic Church in Los Angeles. And he's the author of several books about the Christian life. And he tells about a, a, a time when he was visiting Vancouver, and he went into a, a, a cafe, a coffee shop in Vancouver, and he asked for a latte extra hot. And the young woman who was working as the barista explained to him that she wasn't able to give him an extra hot latte because 
the owners of this coffee shop really took great pride in their elite coffee and they, they felt like that extra heating would sort of compromise the, the purity of their product and so forth. And so she's going on and on and on about this elite coffee. And, and Irwin said, I was just standing there just getting more and more irritated. As she went on, and he, he, was just, he was just thinking, as she just went on and on, this speech about this elite coffee, you know, that he was really tempted to say something sort of snide uh, to her when, when she got done. Um, but before he had a chance to say anything mean, <laughs> the, the young woman stopped in mid-sentence, as she's going on and on about the coffee. She stops in mid-sentence and looks at him and says, Aren't you Erwin McManus? She said, I, I, I recognize your picture from the, uh, the jacket of your, your books, and I've, I've really been helped by them. And, and, and that changed things completely, and he just sort of humbly thanked her um, and, and just sort of tried to help, ask her how she was doing, you know, spiritually and everything, and tried to minister to her. Well, you know, suppose he had said something snide or curt. You know, what would she have thought of his books? What would she have thought of him? But more importantly, what would she have thought about the Christ that he represents? The Bible says that all of us who profess to follow Jesus represent him. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we're ambassadors for Christ. And just like ambassadors represent our country we represent our savior in everything that we say in the way that we say it and in the way that we live and that's really what paul is talking about in this text it's talking about the way we live our our walk with christ what is christian behavior really look like. So let's take a look at it um, in two parts. First of all, he's talking about the, the old life here. You know, what was life like when our lives were not under the Lordship of Christ? So it says in verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Now, if you read Paul's letters a lot, I hope you do, you know that there are certain ways that he transitions from one topic to another. And at the beginning of verse 17, that's what he's doing. He's shifting gears from one topic to another. So in the first part of chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, he's talking about the unity of the body of Christ. And then we saw, uh, following that, through verse 16, verses 7 through 16, He's talking about the diversity of the body, the various gifts that have been given within the body. But now, beginning in verse 17, he's going to talk about the behavior of those who are a part of the body, what our walk should look like. And so he says here that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Walk is, is Paul's favorite word for living out the Christian life. That we should no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now when he talks about Gentiles, he's just talking about the typical 
pagan, non-Jewish person in the Greco-Roman world in the first century. And as we've talked about before in Ephesians, most of the people that received his letter to the Ephesians come from this background. They came from a Gentile background. Uh, Pagans, they worshipped idols, um, and they had that mindset, and they had that lifestyle. And so when he tells them here, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, I mean, basically what he's saying is, you know, you must no longer live like you used to live. And it's not just the way that Gentiles lived in the first century, um, but it's, the, it's, the, it's what characterizes life without Christ in the 21st century as well. So what is that life like? What is that, that old life like um, before we come to know Christ? Well, the first thing that he addresses here is our thought life. He talks about the mind. Before he ever says anything about behavior, he talks about the mind. He says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do and the futility of their minds. And then at the beginning of verse 18, he says they are darkened in their understanding. So Paul begins here with the mind. Before he says anything about actions, before he says anything about behavior, he begins with the mind. Why? Because all behavior flows from within. Before anything is a sinful act, it's a sinful thought. It begins with our thoughts, our hearts. You know, it comes from within, which is why in Proverbs 4.23, the Bible says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The Bible says that our hearts are like a spring. And, and everything, all of our behavior, the words that we say, the way that we say those words, every action that we take is, is really flowing forth from the heart, through the mind, and out into our living So that means that we should guard our hearts. We should be vigilant about the condition of our hearts. We spend a lot of time um, and and money and energy taking care of our bodies and what we wear. How much time, how much energy do we pour into guarding our hearts? cultivating our souls, making sure that our our hearts are healthy and in the right place because everything else in life is going to flow from that. It's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said in Mark 7, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within. I think that was an old uh, horror movie some years ago. It came from within. Okay, well, all these things, all these bad things, these, all, all these bad behaviors come from within. They, they, they come from 
the heart, from the mind. And so Paul begins there. And I think really there's, there's another implication uh, that, that we can draw from what he says in verses 17 and 18. Uh, look at the language that he uses here. Um, he talks about the fact that people without Christ, that there's a futility to their thinking. Um, he says at the beginning of verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding. Later on in verse 18, he talks about um, the ignorance uh, that is in them. Um, there's an implication that we need to draw from this, and it's this. Don't expect your unsaved family members and friends or colleagues at work, or whatever, don't expect them to think and act like Christians before they become Christians. They can't. They can't. And, and that's... And, and, and he talks... You know, he, when, look at the language again. He talks about the futility of their minds. Darkened in their understanding. The ignorance that is in them. And, and that doesn't mean that they're not intelligent doesn't mean they have a low IQ. It doesn't mean that at all. What he's saying is because they, they don't have the Spirit of God as a guide, and their, their lives are not under the Spirit-inspired Word, the Bible, their thinking is not going... They're going to see the world differently. Okay, they're going to see all kinds of things differently. They're going to see their worldview is going to be different, the way they see morality, all kinds of issues is going to be very, very different. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 14 says, The natural person, that is the person without Christ, the unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. We have to remember, people without Christ don't have the Holy Spirit. Um, and therefore, the Spirit is not guiding their thought life. Their lives are not under the Spirit-inspired Word, so their thinking is going to be different. And so, instead of expecting them to think and act like Christians before they become Christians, what we should be focusing on is, is helping them understand the gospel. Helping them understand and accept the good news of Christ because that's what's going to change everything. What's going to change their thinking and their living is Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But they have to have Christ before they, they get the Holy Spirit. You know, I heard someone share recently about um, being able to lead a, a certain TV journalist to Christ. You would know her name if I said her name, but this pastor uh, had done a couple of interviews with this journalist and had developed a friendship with her. And um, over the course of time, he could really see that she was spiritually seeking and so they, they began to, they were talking about spiritual things. She was searching. So he thought, well, you know, I'll get her a Bible. So he gave her a Bible one day. And when he gave her the Bible, 
her immediate response was, oh, the Bible. Now, yeah, that's been used for all kinds of bad purposes in the world, and, you know, and, and that's been, it's been used for uh, oppression by groups of people and so forth, and she began to sort of um, put up objections to the, the Bible. But, you know, their friendship continued, and she, he, he kept on uh, sharing, and she was searching until she eventually gave her life to Christ. And when she trusted in Jesus, the first question that she asked him was, Hey, I want to start reading my Bible. Where do I begin? How can, how, where do I start? What's the, what's the best way to learn? Okay, this is it. It's the difference that the Spirit of God makes. And we have to remember that, you know, Jesus doesn't clean his fish until he catches them. Okay, people need Christ first. And then they get the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and their thinking is different. Um, their, their living um, is going to be transformed. But Jesus comes first. And that's why we need to put the priority on the gospel. Okay, people need Christ before anything else. Um, and and that, that takes priority, and lots of great things flow from, from that. The problem with your unsaved family members and friends is that, as he says in verse 18, they're alienated from the life of God. There's a disconnect between them and God. And the only one who can bridge that barrier and bring reconciliation where there's been alienation is Christ. It's Christ. So that's what we need to pray for and focus on with people who don't yet know him, is that, that, that our unsaved friends and family members need Jesus more than anything else. Um, now, there's another application that we should get from verses 17 and 18 and 19, and it's this. Only the Spirit working through the gospel can soften people's hearts. Only the Spirit of God working through the gospel can soften people's hearts. Now, look at the, the language um, that Paul uses here uh, in verse 18. He talks about the fact that he talks about hardness of heart, okay? And, and then in verse 19, he's going to talk about the fact that they've become callous. Now, if you play golf, you know that you want to develop calluses on your hand in certain places. Um, but the last thing that you want is a calloused heart, a hard heart. What happens, though, is as people resist God over and over and over, over a long period of time, and they, they plunge deeper and deeper into sin, their heart becomes calloused and their heart becomes hard. Well, what's going to break through that? Can, can we do it? Listen, all the arguments in the world can't do it. All, all just the human words in the world cannot break through a hard heart. But the Spirit of God can. The Spirit can. And so there are a couple of implications from that. First of all, you know people like this. I mean, you've probably got people like this in your life. 
people maybe in your own family or in your circle of friends, uh, people that you work with or go to school with, and their hearts are hard. And it just seems like anything that you would, you feel like anything that you would say about of a spiritual nature is just going to be like just uh, something just crashing into a wall and, and falling to, a, to the ground. I mean, there's, there's a hardness there. What do we do? First of all, we should pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them faithfully. Pray for them repeatedly. Pray for them by name. Pray that a sovereign God would be doing things in their life and in their heart that we simply cannot do. I heard an interview this past week, a fascinating interview, with an American man who heads up a ministry to Christians in North Korea. North Korea is one of the darkest places on planet Earth. And what Christians have to go through in the darkness of this totalitarian nation, it's, it's incredible what it's like to be a Christian in North Korea. We, we can't even begin to fathom what it's like. But this American man was saying, he was talking to a North Korean believer, and he said, you know, we, we in America, we, we pray for you. We pray for the Christians in North Korea. And this man responded by saying, you pray for us? We pray for you. He said, you know, because of the conditions that we're forced to live in all the time, we know that we have to depend upon God. We know that. And we found that God is always sufficient to provide. He said, but, but you all in the West, because of all you have, you have the illusion that you can do it on your own. So true. When it comes to breaking through someone's heart that's hard, friends, there's no way we can do that on our own. Okay, only the Spirit of God can do that. So we need to pray. Pray faithfully. Pray by name for people in our lives that need Christ. The second thing is to share the gospel with them as we have opportunity. Share the gospel. Because Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. As we share about the work of Christ, what He has done, the fact that He died for our sins, that He rose from the dead, that He reigns as Lord, as we share that, in some cases, the Spirit of God is going to go forth and flow through us, and He is going to soften and break the hearts of unsaved people and open the eyes of their hearts so that they can respond to the gospel. And if we share the gospel often enough, we're going to see this happen in the lives of people. But there's just something powerful when we share the gospel. Right? We're not talking about just, you know, 
uh, you know, telling people they need to get their act together, you know, or just come to church or whatever. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And as we share that news, the Spirit of God works in power to draw people to Himself. Now, beginning in verse 19, he begins to talk about the behavior of uh, people outside of Christ. He says they've given themselves to, up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Because our culture in 21st century America is so sensual and so sex-obsessed, we're prone to think that it's worse than what it's ever been. And, and maybe in the sense of um, the bombardment that comes from Internet or you know, TV or whatever, it is, there, it is worse than it's ever been in, in that sense. But um, we are not the only culture that has been characterized by uh, sensuality or by every kind of impurity. There have been many cultures throughout history that were like that, including first century Ephesus. Everything that we see in our culture was there in Ephesus. It was not only there in Ephesus, it was rampant in Ephesus. And the people that had become Christians uh, in Ephesus, they were all coming out of that, um, that lifestyle. Um, and so this is totally relevant okay, to, to our culture today. But something happened in their lives. Something remarkable, something radical had happened in their lives. God had intervened. Let's look at the new life. Verses 20 and 21. That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. What had happened in their lives he begins with the word but here in verse 20. Uh, this was your old life, but, but, something happened. Something amazing happened. What had happened? First of all, they heard about him. They heard the gospel. They heard about the work of Christ. One day, Paul showed up in Ephesus he began to engage people in conversation in the marketplace. He began to tell people about the work of the Savior. And some of them came to Christ as the Spirit worked in their hearts. And then they told others. And then you had this church in Ephesus. So they, they heard the gospel. The second thing that, that, that happened is that they were taught. They were taught in Him. In other words, in addition to hearing the good news of the gospel, they were taught about the implications of that. They were taught about the Bible. They were taught about Christian beliefs. They were taught about the lifestyle that flows from those beliefs. Proactively, intentionally taught. And it happened over time. Um, so... What were they taught? Well, they were taught, we see here in verse 21, they were taught the truth. Okay, so they were taught doctrine. They were taught theology. They were taught the Word of God. They were taught Christian beliefs. 
And then they were taught about the behavior, the lifestyle that flows forth from that. So he says in verses 22 and following, they were taught, you were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what was Paul's pattern in Ephesus and everywhere that he ministered? It was to first of all proclaim the gospel so that people could be saved, but then to teach, to flesh that out so that people could understand the deeper things of the Word of God and and how to live that out in their lives. Now, when you look at the Great Commission that Jesus gave us, this is exactly the pattern that you see. What does Jesus tell us to do? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means that as you go out, it's not just you trying to do my work or speak my words. My power is going to go with you. The power of my Spirit is going to accompany you. And then he tells us what to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, what is the pattern that Jesus tells us to undertake? He says, go forth in my power, doing what? Making disciples. Proclaiming the gospel. Seeing people become believers. Seeing people baptized. But does it end there? No. He says, teach them. You're to be teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. This was the pattern of Paul. They heard the gospel and then they, were, they became disciples and they were taught about the gospel, Christian beliefs, Christian lifestyle here. And then they were, they were taught. Now... What application does that have for the church? First of all, we want as many people as possible to hear the gospel. We want to help as many people as possible hear the gospel. People can't become Christians until they hear the gospel. And we want to start, we start with people that are around us every day, but we don't stop there. We're to take it to the ends of the earth. So it begins with us being missionaries every day that we live, every day that we get up. We should see ourselves as ambassadors for Christ, agents for God, people who have been called to be missionaries where we live and to speak the gospel to the people that are around us and to love them with the love of Christ so that when we speak the gospel, what we speak has credibility because of our, our kindness, our, our love our holiness, our, our manner of life that, that backs up, you know, the, the words that we say. You say, well, haven't people in our community heard the gospel? What many people in our community have heard is a caricature of the gospel. And if you engage in many conversations with people right here in our community who don't know Christ, if you're engaged in spiritual conversation with them, you know this. You know that many of them, they have heard bits and pieces. It's often convoluted, distorted. Um, 
when you get right down to it, they don't understand grace. They don't understand, you know, just the, the pure good news of what Jesus has done. And it's our job, okay, your job, every day, mine every day, to help them understand truly the gospel of the grace of God, what Jesus has done. Um, so many in our community, don't, they don't really understand that. Um, but then we don't stop in our community, do we? We've been given an assignment to take it to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Sometimes we can go ourselves, short term. God may call others of you to go out long term. But God has called all of us to pray and to send. To send. That's that force of over 5,000 IMB missionaries that were engaged in sending and supporting. And those that are not part of IMB, that, but we're also engaged with them. Um, as they are spread out across the world sharing the gospel. They can't go, Romans 10 says, unless they're sent. As we give, we are a direct part of sending them and sustaining them, holding the ropes so that others can be lowered down and, and, and into some of the darkest places on earth with the light of the gospel. So every time that you stroke a check... Okay, to give Sunday by Sunday, understand you're pushing back darkness and helping the light to shine with people who need to hear the gospel around the world. We have to help as many people as possible hear the gospel. Second, we, we must teach. We must teach. We must teach the Word of God, teach Christian beliefs, and teach how it's lived out. That's what he says here. He says, you were taught the truth that's in Christ, that's doctrine, that's Christian beliefs, and then how that fleshes out in your manner of life. And listen, this is why every New Testament church must put a priority on teaching. Teaching the Word of God. That's why in our worship services, it's why we open the Bible and read a text and we try to dig into that text so that we're being taught the Word of God. Okay? And we need it not only in a large group like this, we need teaching that comes in small groups. Okay? Sunday school classes, uh, Bible fellowship groups, whatever we want to call them, the name's not important, but we need that, that teaching that comes in a small group. Okay, that's offered to people here from little kids all the way through senior adults the opportunity to get in a smaller group so that you can interact around the Word. Okay, and it's life on life and you're helping one another to understand the Word and apply the Word um, in that small group context. We need both. Okay, large group teaching, smaller group teaching, and the goal of all of it is what? The goal is what he talks about in verses 23 and 24. It's to be renewed 
in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, the goal is Christ-likeness. The goal is to be more like Jesus. The goal is to, is to reflect who He is more accurately to those around us every day that we live. Maybe some of you parents can relate to this, but there are moments when I, we'll just be around the house and just, uh, you know, kidding around or doing something. I, but I'll, 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 look at, I'll look at my kids and something really weird happens. I, I almost feel like I'm looking at myself. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? It's hard to describe what I'm saying, but I'll look at one of them and the resemblance will be such that it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, I, I, I'll say to them sometimes, you know, you really look like me, <laughs> you know, and um, just that kind of a eerie, striking moment <laughs> when um, you, you almost feel like you're looking at yourself. Paul says, you know, really, that's the goal here is to more and more for us as children of the Father to look like Him, you know, to resemble Him in His character. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank You so much for the body of Christ. We, we thank You for the new life that You have, have given to us. And Father, we, um, we pray that in, in our thinking um, and, and in our living, that we would more and more resemble who you are, that we would more and more uh, adorn the gospel and really reflect uh, your character uh, to, to those around us. And so we pray that you would help us to take every thought captive. We, we pray that um, we would just um, turn to you and, and allow you to reign in our, our thought lives, to help us to, to, to guard our hearts because we know everything is really uh, flowing forth from, from that. Um, Lord, help us to, to spend the same, uh, the, the greater amount of energy and time to uh, the health of our souls than we do the exterior things, the superficial things. Um, Father, we thank you for um, the privilege of being a part of the, the body of Christ. We, we pray that you would conform our church more and more to this New Testament pattern that we would go forth each day as an army of witnesses so that people can uh, hear the gospel Uh, Lord help us as we support others who can go where we can't that people can uh, can hear the gospel and and then Father make us faithful to teach um, to teach and to and make us faithful to learn um, w- what the implications of all of that are in our lives. So we pray that you would bless all the environments where that takes place here. Our, our worship services, our Sunday school classes, um, every group and uh, ministry, um, so that more and more um, our, our lives, our thinking, are just uh, saturated with your word, and we're living in the power of your spirit 
and we're conformed more and more to your likeness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to your heart about a relationship with him, um, in just a moment we're going to stand and, and sing. And um, if God's dealing with your heart, you want to talk with someone, we're going to be right here at the front. Um, and as others stand, uh, just, just come and share with me what God's doing in your life. Maybe you're here and God's speaking to you about being a part of our church family. We want to invite you to slip out and to come as we welcome you today. Let's stand to get together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.